Well, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, we're going to come to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 this morning. And I'm going to, um, we're just going to read our way through it. We're going to be pausing as we go. I have some thoughts. And it starts this way, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God gets the glory, we get the peace. What a great deal. (laughs) What a great deal. Luke 2, 8 through 20, describes two startling and unexpected visitations. First, the shepherds are visited in the most spectacular and awe-inspiring way by a heavenly host of angels who proclaim to them the Savior's birth. And then, as we'll see in a moment, the second unexpected visitation is that the shepherds, in turn, will go down and pay this unexpected visit on Mary and Joseph and the newborn baby Jesus. They go down to see this sight for themselves and to tell anyone who would listen what had been told them concerning the child that they'd found in the manger. Uh, In the midweek email this week, I speculated on some some questions I've always had about that moment when the shepherds showed up. I, I just wish the Bible gave us more details about that interaction. Like, I wonder, did they just barge in? I wonder if they helloed from the street. Hello! I wonder how many shepherds there were. Was there a dozen of them? Was there three? Was it two? I don't know. I wonder if when they told Mary and Joseph about what they'd seen with the angels, if they had to kind of whisper it because the baby was there. I think most probably it was whispered, which is interesting because I think of it as being such an exciting thing that you'd want to shout it, but I think they would have had to tamp it down because, my goodness, there's a newborn baby You can't yell in the presence of a newborn baby. So it's odd for me to think about how that news was probably related through whispers. But I don't know that. None of us do. I wish I had those kind of details, and they don't matter anyway. But what does matter is some really important things that are contained in the midst of these really cherished and familiar lines. In this passage of Scripture... There are a lot of these incredibly significant words that we could focus on, words like glory, fear, Savior, Christ, Lord, good news, joy, peace. And I think we have this kind of a a very interrupted sermon series that I've been working on because in 2018, I spent uh, one of our Sunday mornings focusing on the word joy. We pulled joy out of this passage, and we just spent the whole morning talking about that. 
And then two years later, in 2020, we talked about peace. We pulled that word out. And now two years later, we're going to do another one. Uh, This year, if I was to focus on one word or phrase from this passage of Scripture, the one I think we should highlight and think about would possibly be when it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. The Greek word translated in our Bibles as shone around is in Greek, it's just one word, but it's a compound word. And it comes from shoving two Greek words, peri and lampo, together. And in combination, these words mean to fully illuminate or to illuminate from all sides. Our English word around is trying to capture this idea of a light that comes from every direction. There's no dark side. There's no shadow cast. What is being described for us with this word is a white shining brightness that engulfs and surrounds the shepherds. They couldn't turn away from it. Last week, we talked about the sovereignty of God in the way that the Christmas story unfolds. And by describing God as sovereign, we explained that what that means is that God is in control of all things and that he himself is controlled by nothing. There's no external factor that limits his agency or in any way keeps him, hinders him from doing what he wills. So every detail of the Christmas story plays out exactly as God in his sovereignty planned it. It's a well-known fact. Every Christmas card depicts it this way, and in fact, the Bible tells us that it was this way. But it's a well-known fact, but not one we often reflect on, that Jesus was born at night. This is the time when God chose for the light of the world to be born, was in the dark of a Judean night. In John 12, 46, Jesus famously said, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus, throughout his ministry, often made statements about, that were prefaced with the idea of, it was for this reason that I came. For example, he told Pontius Pilate before going to the cross, he said, For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He told the Pharisees, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. He told his disciples, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Every time Jesus speaks in this way about his coming, He is pointing us back to this amazing night in Bethlehem when the angels proclaimed to the awestruck shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Whenever Jesus makes this, for this reason I came statement, he is explaining Christmas. And I've always found it interesting, for example, that when Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I came into the world, he said, I was born and I came. Is there a difference between the two, between being born and coming? When Jesus said he was born, 
I think he is speaking about his humanity. And when he says that he came, he is saying that unlike all of us, he pre-existed his conception in Mary. Amazingly, Jesus is fully man and fully God at the same time. He's not part man and part God. He's fully both all at once. He was born, and yet he came. The origin of the Messiah, who, who appears in Bethlehem from eternity past, is a, is a mysterious thing that we really can't describe as creation. The only word that fits what is being described for us in the Bible is rather incarnation. It is the infinitely old being of Jesus putting on flesh and becoming like one of us. This is the incredible moment when our eternal, pre-existent creator God became like one of us, a created being. And not just in appearance, but in his very nature, and without losing any of his divine nature. This is one of the biggest mysteries. This is one of those things where this is really the difference between apprehending a thing and comprehending it. Like, you can comprehend something, you understand it inside and out. But apprehending something is you know it's true, but maybe you don't know how it's true. There are people, no doubt, even in our fellowship here in the room today, who can fully explain how when they hit the switch on the wall, electricity, the lights come on. I can't. I don't comprehend the ins and outs of how all of that works. The grid, the power system, all of it. I don't even understand the wiring in my house. But I apprehend some truths about it. And so when we talk about Jesus being fully God and fully man without being less of either, I can't comprehend that. But the Bible says it to be true and I apprehend the truth of it. I can know it truly without understanding it fully and God has said it. He became a son of man so that we might become sons of God. He came into the world so that we might be delivered out of it. He was born so that we might be born again. He died so that we might know the life abundant and eternal. And in John 12, 46, Jesus explained, saying, I, I have come into the world as light. Darkness is symbolic in the Bible of a state of hostile alienation and separation from God. It's representative of error. All of humanity is guilty and under condemnation. We sit in the midst of our sins like prisoners in chains, condemned to death. Our situation was hopeless because we were lost in darkness. And according to John 1.5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so when Christmas story unfolds, we find lost sinners, hostile and separated in mind, out doing their workaday life in the midst of this fallen world when suddenly a great light, <laughs> a great shining cloud of white light engulfs and surrounds them and we're told that they're terrified, they're scared. But Isaiah prophesied about Jesus coming into the world saying, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
And in Luke 1, 78 through 79, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied concerning Jesus' coming. He said, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So when Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, he is saying that he is the fulfillment of God's promise to throw open the door of judgment and let the light of his grace and mercy shine into our cells. As Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says, "...and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves." in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What the angel announced on that dark night outside of Bethlehem was that the light of the world, the sunrise that has visited us from on high, the Prince of Peace who reigns over the kingdom of light had arrived to us all out of, to deliver us all out of our darkness. You know, the Christmas story is just chock full of these unexpected visitors. Uh, There are angels that suddenly appear three times in the Christmas narrative. Suddenly, unexpectedly, angels appear. There are the wise men as well, of course, who unexpectedly arrive in Jerusalem and upset Herod's neatly ordered world. And in their unexpected arrival at the home of Mary and Joseph, we have the shepherds themselves with their unexpected visitation to the stable on the very night of Jesus' birth. However, we have to concede that the most unexpected visitor in all of the Christmas story is Jesus himself. (laughs) This incredibly unexpected visitation of God to come and be one of us, Emmanuel, His coming into the world, although prophesied and looked for by some, nevertheless arrived as a great, shocking, surprise visitation. The story of his coming shines in a world that is so dark. Uh, We look at the darkness of men's hearts. We look at the darkness even of our own minds. Look at the wickedness of these days. Tim Keller points this out. He says, if Christmas didn't happen, if God really didn't become human, die on the cross and rise again, then the joy of Christmas, the partying and all that is only temporary and the suffering of this world is permanent. But if Christmas really happened and God really became a human being at Christmas and he really broke into this world like a light in the dark to redeem us, then the suffering of this world is temporary and the joy of the new heavens and new earth is what's permanent. This is the significance of Christmas. The heavenly host sang to the shepherds saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them, what emotion does it say that they felt? Well, it says that they were afraid. In this moment, they are reminded, I think, of their own dark sinfulness and their status as rebels against the throne of God. 
I'm reminded here of that verse in the Bible where it says that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. Okay, when messengers come from God, from the great unseen realm, materializing before them in this, all the glory of God shining around them, they are become suddenly and terrifyingly aware of who they are in relationship to God. <laughs> it's horrifying, horrifying to fall into the hands of a righteous God. But then the very first words that come out of the angel's mouth are for you and for me and for all of humanity in these days between the two comings of Jesus. Fear not. <laughs> I don't come with a stick. I come with good news of great joy. I don't come bringing a hangman's noose. I come bringing a pardon if you'll pick it up. It's yours. It's on offer. He doesn't bring wrath and punishment. He brings good news. The angel says some wonderful things to quiet the hearts of these trembling shepherds. Although the angel does not appear, to appear before them to proclaim wrath and judgment, those things are part of the conversation. Before there can ever be good news, there must first be bad news, and there's plenty of bad news. Isaiah 53.5 says, speaking of Jesus prophetically, it says, "...but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace." And with his wounds, we are healed. When the angels proclaim peace, they are proclaiming that fallen man can be at peace with God. It's the peace spoken of in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come then to verse 15 in Luke 2. It says this, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Think about the wonder of this moment. Uh, these shepherds could not have gone and visited King Herod in Jerusalem. They certainly could not have popped in unannounced on Caesar Augustus in Rome. But amazingly, these guys find no barrier whatsoever to keep them from walking into the presence of God Almighty. This is jaw-droppingly amazing, what's happening. These guys probably couldn't pop in unannounced on whoever the head man was in Bethlehem. There probably would have been barriers and people to get through. There are no barriers at all that keep these shepherds from coming into the presence of God Almighty. None. Jesus came into the world to tear down the barriers that separates fallen man from God. 
That's the language of Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. Jesus is called in the Bible Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because Jesus was born in a stable, among the stink of animals, and laid in a manger, a feeding trough as his crib, the humble shepherds found no barrier keeping them from entering into his presence. The greatest people of the earth live behind walls and security and sometimes even armed guards. What if Jesus had been born in an imposing palace? The shepherds would not have been able to come in and behold him as they did. Jesus had lowered himself to such a degree that he had become like one of them, a servant living among the animals. Only those, and this is very important to see, the only sort of person who would have found a barrier to coming into the presence of Jesus would have been someone like Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus isn't going to go into that stable. (laughs) It's dirty in there. Get it cleaned up before I'll go in there. The only people who would have found a barrier were those who were too prideful to bend the knee and come into such a place. And it's still the same today. There is no barrier that keeps anyone from coming to Jesus but pride. This is the only thing. There's no guard at the door. There's no hoops to jump through. The only thing that could have kept someone from going into that stable and kneeling down next to the manger is pride. (laughs) It's too dirty. It's too lowly. Only those who would humble themselves and confess their need for a Savior can enter into His presence. But those who pridefully refuse to bend their knee and confess their need cannot. I'll end with this thought. One of the, I've shared with you before, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the Christmas story for me, and I like to ponder the questions that surround it. One of the questions I have, and I raised last week, in fact, is why the shepherds? (laughs) Not only did God not announce Jesus' birth to other people, I mean, for one, there's a mystery here, why shepherds? But then another mystery is why these shepherds? Like, even though he announced the mystery to shepherds, he didn't announce it to all the shepherds living in the Bethlehem area. The idea I get from Scripture is it's a specific bunch. It really is striking that on the night of Jesus' birth, the only human beings who are notified are these guys, essentially working a minimum wage job in that day. And this is surprising, again, first, because they're shepherds, and because these are the only shepherds specifically who are singled out. A lot of scholars over the years have sought to answer this mystery, and I like some of their ideas. Uh, For example, there is some evidence, you'll find this if you look into commentaries and things, there's some evidence from the historical record that the sheep that were used in the temple for sacrifices were actually 
kept in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where the sheep for temple sacrifices were kept. There's some historical evidence for that. And so they've speculated that perhaps these shepherds were watching over the temple sheep. So the theory goes, perhaps these were the shepherds charged with watching over the sacrificial lambs, as it were. And then there is born in Bethlehem the sacrificial lamb, whose sacrifice on the cross would resolve in a once-for-all kind of way the great sin debt of humanity. Now, I like that idea. But ultimately, let's be honest, that is pure speculation. The Bible does not make that explicit or clear, and in fact, the historical record is somewhat debatable about whether that's the truth of it. Perhaps the point of making the announcement to shepherds was in some way tied to what Jesus said about himself, that he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That angel, that angle, I'm sorry, has also been explored, and again, I really like the thought That's a a worthy idea to consider and explore. Shepherds and sheep are full of biblical symbolism and significance. I can see some really natural tie-ins. But again, the Bible doesn't make this explicitly clear, doesn't connect the dots for us, as it were. However, let me offer another possibility to to address the mystery of why God sent his angels to announce the good news and that the rescue mission had begun, that a savior had been born, that he sent the angels to these unnamed shepherds and no one else. First, I would say that the important and significant thing that God would have us dwell on in the midst of this mystery is not that the angels made the announcement only to these men, though they did, but that what was announced and proclaimed was explicitly for all the people. This is, I think, the most noteworthy thing about what the angels deliver. They deliver it to a singular, unexpected audience, but what they say, the import of their words, is that what has happened in Bethlehem is for everyone. It's for all people. It's not just for the jaw-dropping, awestruck shepherds. Think of your own story of awakening to the great realization of who Jesus is and his significance. Think of your own story of when you heard the gospel and found yourself believing. You might wonder, God, why me? And this is not so different from the question, why these shepherds? Why you? Of all the people on planet Earth, why does it feel as though the lights have been turned on for you, and you're now seeing things and reveling in things to which those around you seem numb and indifferent? Why have you suddenly come awake to the startling realization of all that is yours in Christ Jesus when those who are in your life just yawn and seem annoyed when you bring up Jesus? Why the shepherds? Why you? Why me? Why are you hearing words sent by God while others remain asleep? Why these shepherds? And I think possibly it's the same mystery. Billy Graham was once asked if he would have any questions for God when he arrived in heaven, and he answered, yes, 
I think I will ask, why me? And this is the question. I, I think that the mystery of why these guys is maybe unknowable, but it is not ultimately unsatisfying to just rest that God and His perfect wisdom, wisdom chooses as He will. He's chosen me. He's chosen you. He chose these guys to first tell the news to. And then we come to verse 17, and it says this, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. A couple things I want you to see here. <laughs> These shepherds might have wondered, why us too? But their response to the amazing thing that they had been told, the amazing thing that they had seen, been helped to see, should be our response as well. This is a right and fitting response from the shepherds. They become worshipers and proclaimers of good news. This is a very important thing to see about these guys, and it's a very important thing to see about ourselves. Brothers and sisters, when we ask, why, why me, why you, why us, why these shepherds, we need to realize the same thing, which is that the news that was given to them was not just for them, but also through them to others. We're not a reservoir of God's blessings. We're a conduit through which they pour out to others. Uh, it's a well-known fact and uh, maybe even a cliche. A lot of pastors use this analogy, but the Dead Sea in Israel, it's dead. Why? Because it does not flow out. It's such a low depression that every, and stuff uh, evaporates out of there that all the water that flows into it does, has nowhere to flow out. And it's dead because all the salinity builds up in it. And you look at a Christian who just receives and never flows out, and it goes septic. It's dead. James said, faith without works is dead. You must flow out. And so when the angel appears to these guys specifically, the word that he has for them is, this news I'm giving you is for all the people. But the God himself, through his angels, only makes that statement once. How is the message for all the people perpetuated, replicated, magnified? through the true report of the shepherds. God has done a thing in Josh Tate's life. At some point along the way, he opened my eyes to see the truth and the necessity and the excellence of the good news of who this baby is that was laid in a manger. But does that die in my ears? Or do I, like the shepherds, become a worshiper and an evangelist, a proclaimer of good news? Gift-giving is a wonderful Christmas tradition, and long ago, on that very first Christmas, God gave us the gift that was the most satisfying, exciting, unexpected, longest-lasting that has ever been given. He gave Himself. In Romans 6.23, that, that thing which was given to us is described as a gift, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you'd like to receive that gift this Christmas, I want you to know there is absolutely nothing preventing you from coming into the presence of the Almighty. There is no barrier. You might say, but I'm a terrible sinner. And I'll say, His grace is greater. Absolutely. You're in good company. (laughs) All of us who have come to the cross with our burden of sin have been able to lay it down, and He took all of it. It's an incredible gift. He who knew no sin became sin in our place, says 1 Corinthians 15. This is a beautiful thing. So if you'd like to receive that gift, you can pray. I'm going to close this morning with a prayer, and you can pray right along with me in your heart, and that can be your prayer, and you can become a Christian today. You can receive the free gift. You don't have to wait until Christmas morning to unwrap that gift. Jesus can be yours. You can belong to him, and you can worship him this Christmas as someone who's been brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And you can be secure in the knowledge that if you died today, all the promises of Scripture would belong to you. Here's the amazing thing that Jesus did, and I'll be very brief. If you're a Christian and you've already heard the gospel plan of salvation, uh, just bear with me and be patient, Uh, because the truth is that there are some who still remain in darkness and have never heard the old, old truth of how we, God plans to deal with our sin. The truth is that we're all sinners. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the punishment for our sins, the wages of sin, it says, is death. But God doesn't want to give you what you deserve, a wage. He wants to give you a gift, something you don't deserve, something you didn't earn. And that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those are the words of Romans 6.23. Now, I want you to know something, and it's very important. You don't deserve this gift. That's not the way this works. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were a sinner, when you were unworthy, when you were far off, hostile, separated, as ugly as can be, that's when he died for you. And then come some amazing verses. Romans 5, 1 says that because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Justified is a legal term, meaning not guilty. And you are declared not guilty because the punishment for what you did truly commit, that you were guilty of, has been laid on Jesus. Jesus took the penalty. That's what the cross is all about. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for your sins. And now Romans 8.1 can belong to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The great news of Christianity is that it's possible to go home to the Father. Jesus has made a way through his sacrifice on the cross that we can be made right with the Father, we can come home. This Christmas you can have a homecoming. (laughs) All your sin 
can be removed. And you can be assured that your reception in the household of the Father is a loving embrace. This is on offer to everyone. Again, there's no barrier. No barrier but pride. And I say pride because it is a humble thing to know that you can't fix this. You can't. This is quite beyond your resources as a human being. You can't pay this sin debt off through good works. You can't make all the sins you've committed up to this point go away in your own power. You can't do anything to make it right on your own. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. And when you come to the Bible and it says all the things that you should do and you haven't done, and it says all the things that you shouldn't do and you've done quite a few of them, the Bible exists to point you to your need for a Savior in the same way that a mirror tells you you need to get cleaned up. The Bible itself can't clean you up. You can't get cleaned up by law-keeping any more than a mirror can clean you. The mirror says you need a shower. The Bible says you need a Savior. So we turn there. And this is the great gift of God. And this is completely different and unique from every other religion on the face of the earth. You go to any other religion, and how do you get right with God? How do you find salvation? And that religion will tell you, here's a list of things you have to do. You meet these righteous standards, and God will recognize how serious you are, and He'll give you the good thing you want. Christianity is very unique from that. If you come to the God of Christianity and say, what must I do to be saved? God says, it's already been done. You have to pick it up. You have to believe in faith that Jesus did all that's necessary. This is a very unique thing. Now, I'm not advocating cheap consecration. I think when you do become a Christian, you sincerely embrace these truths. God is going to begin a a work of transforming you, giving you new desires. You're going to submit to the lordship of Jesus. You're going to become, by degrees over time, more and more like the God who saved you. But you can't obtain or maintain your standing with God through works. That's not the way that the gospel explains it. So guys, that's how you become a Christian. That's what it is to embrace the gospel. It's to rest in what Jesus has done for you. It's to know that your standing before the God is not before God is not that you're a great person, but that you've put your trust in the one who was perfect. He did it all. And now we rest. This is why Jesus said, "Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls," he said. You look at every other religion, and they're just adding burdens on people to become saved. Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you rest. You can rest in me. I did it for you. This is a wonderful thing, and this is an absolute Christmas gift. So if this is the first time where the lights have come on for you, and you have come to a startling realization about the meaning of this child that was laid in a manger... 
about the good news of great joy that's for you. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer here in closing. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to even raise your hand. But if this morning you want to become a follower of Jesus, you want to put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you can just simply agree with this prayer as I pray it. You can make it your own, and you can pass from darkness into light this very day. My only request is that you don't keep it a secret. The shepherds didn't. The shepherds went around telling people what had happened. (laughs) Tell me. Tell somebody. If you tell me, I'd love to tell you some next steps you can take as a new follower of Jesus. By the way, as I pray this prayer, if you're a Christian and have been for a while, I just would ask you to pray for anyone who might be listening to this. Uh, You can be praying alongside my prayer, and maybe even for folks who are listening online, and let's just pray that they would receive the free gift of salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner. I see in your law that there are things I should have done and haven't done, and there are things I... God, there are things I should do and haven't done, and there are things I shouldn't have done, and I definitely did. God, I've broken your laws. I'm a sinner. And Father, I know that my sin has separated me from you. God, I know because your word says it, that all have sinned are objects of wrath, that there is a coming day of judgment, and that all those, God, who are not in Christ Jesus will be subject to the full outpouring of your wrath and judgment. And so, Father, I come to you believing what you say, that there is a free gift on offer to sinners like myself. God, I know, I know I don't have anything to bring you in exchange for this gift. God, I bring you in this moment nothing but my need, and my need is desperate. God, I've sinned, and I need a Savior. God, I am living under a crushing sin debt burden, and I need someone who can lift it off my shoulders and make me free of it. And God, I believe that Jesus is such a Savior. I believe that He lived a perfectly sinless life, and that when He went to the cross, He died the death I deserved. All your punishment was poured out on him that should have been poured out on me. And God, I believe, because you say it in your word, as unbelievable as it is, that in exchange for him taking my sin, I get his righteousness. Oh, Father, clothe me in that righteousness. Father, receive me now in this moment as your child, not as a sinner. Father, I put my trust in Jesus for salvation, and I ask for your help by the Holy Spirit to live for him, to obey his commands, to make his people, the church, central in my life, to be there with them as a worshiper, and that they might help me grow. Father, help me to obey all that you've commanded in your word from now until Jesus comes back to get us or until I enter the grave. Father, thank you for this free gift. 
I embrace it with all my heart. Help me now to be a true-hearted follower of you. In Jesus' name, amen.